0: Oh, all right, well, let's pray for what comes next because this is, we were joking. Um, well, I'll tell you about the jokes later. Let's pray now. Father, um, we turn to you now as we turn to your word and we pray for your spirit to come among us right now. Father, may your word come alive. Father, um, especially as we, we turn to something as controversial as baptism, Father, we pray that, that, that we will see and sense your truth. Father, if I say anything that is not of you, Father, I pray that that is filtered before it sinks in. And and we pray instead, Father, that that you will open our minds and open our hearts and open our ears. Give us ears to hear as we turn to your word, Father, that we may may come out with doctrine that is more sound than the ideas and thoughts that we came into this room with. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's... here's, (laughs) The thing we were joking about last week, you know, we said, hey, we're going to two services. Um, we may not have to after the next couple of weeks because last week we talked about Halloween, which is incredibly divisive among Christians, um, surprisingly so. And uh, today we're going to be talking about, about baptism. Wow. Uh, it's, it, it, baptism is perhaps, if not the, it's one of the most divisive, uh, topics you can bring up among Christians. It's one of the ones where Christians have split. Christians, will, they will deny membership as a result of whether or not you see baptism the same way. So we're going we're to dig in into that one. I, um, as I was preparing for today, I was reminded of, uh, of a guy who's been a, a, a spiritual mentor in my life, a pastor by the name of Pastor Morris Vognis. And he, uh, he tells the story um, of a time where he was going to preach on baptism. And so, uh, so he gets up at, in, into the pulpit. He gets up and says, Good morning, in his, Pastor Morris voice. And he says, This is the day the Lord has made. Or no, this is a good morning. How does that go? I would think I'd remember this. He said, he would say, good morning. And then he said, this is a good morning because this is the day that the Lord has made. A lot of you know him, yeah. He's great. So anyway, he says, Today I will be teaching on everything that Christians believe, hold in common when it comes to baptism. And then he... Uh, sat back down without saying another word. Um, yeah, because he, there is so little that Christians believe on, when it, believe or hold in common when it comes to, to baptism. Um, Christians disagree, among other things, when it comes to baptism, on the right age for baptism. Christians d- disagree on the amount of water that should be used and how it should be applied. Christians disagree on how much training is necessary before a person can be legitimately baptized. Um, there's even disagreement on what baptism actually does, what it actually does, why it's important. Now, to be fair, the Bible, uh, the Bible um, does itself testifies to the fact that there are going to be things that we disagree on. As believers. The Bible itself says that. It, it, it makes, um, makes it very clear that there's going to be things we don't see eye, eye, eye to eye on. There's things that we, we disagree on. In fact, one of our big challenges as God's family is to figure out what fits where. And what I mean by that is different beliefs are going to fit into different categories. Um, the Bible at different times talks about the importance of sound doctrine. And then at other times it talks about how foolish it is to get into just crazy arguments. So one of our challenges when it comes to baptism and other things is to know what fits where. Because there's going to be some stuff that fits into the category of divide. There are some things that, um, that separate some beliefs, some practices that will separate Christians from non-Christians. And specifically when it comes to baptism, what should divide us? What, and this isn't a question to answer. This is just me throwing this out there. One of the things we have to decide is what, what will we separate over? What would cause us to say you can't be a member of our church if you believe this or if you do this? And baptism fits that for a lot of churches. There are a number of churches that say if you don't baptize the way we say you should baptize, you can't be a member of our church. In fact, that's one of the reasons we have a lot of the denominations is over the issue of baptism. So there's some things that fit in this category, and we have to decide, what about baptism fits here? There's also a category of defend. Defend. There are some beliefs that don't quite fit the category of divide in the sense of, this is it, we can't be a member if you do this or believe this. But there are some things that we would say, hey, that fits in the category of defend. I think I'm right, I think you're wrong. And I will defend my belief. There's stuff that fits into that category. We won't part ways over this. You can still be a member of our church. Um, but, but I feel strongly about this. There's different things that fit that category. And then there's another category that fits, our, that, that could be described as discuss. Another category that fits this bigger category of discuss. And, and in the discuss category is, I don't know, what do you think? We're certainly not going divide, to divide over it, I can't even defend it, but what do you think? And so one of the tricky things about baptism, and one of the reasons, again, that we split so much on this, is what fits where? What fits in divide? What fits in defend? What fits in discuss? And today, because we only have so much time, um, we won't be able to, to, to try to even begin to categorize all that, but what I want to try to do more than anything else today is to at least, hopefully, you'll come out with an understanding that there's more than one way to see this thing. And there's a reason why we're divided over this. And it's even possibly, I'm going to go as far as to say, it's possibly inspired, the debate itself may be inspired by the spirit of of God. Um, And I'm going to have to be careful today too because I am really passionate about this topic. And not so much passionate even in the defend divide. What I'm so passionate about is is. What I see out there, I, one of the reasons we're talking about this is because in all my years growing up, and even through seminary, I can't remember one single time when, when somebody um, in, a, in a church setting, or even in one of my seminary classes, um, where, they, where they sat down and they said, here are both sides of this issue. I, I can't remember it. And maybe you guys are fortunate and you've had that. I can't. What I've heard sometimes is, here's the way, here's what the Bible says. Instead of saying, boy, this thing, there's a reason why this is such a mystery. So that's one of the reasons I feel passionate. And another one is, I, I see extremes out there that I think can be more easily dismissed. If you want to take out your green note page, um, we've got a lot of blanks to cover, so we're going to go fast. Some weeks there's one, some weeks there's None. This one, time, there's a lot of blanks. So here we go. Um, here's what, here are two extremes that I think are both wrong. Two extremes when it comes to baptism that I think are both wrong. Number one is this, that baptism guarantees a right standing before God. I don't think that that is a correct biblical position. I think that is one we can turn to the Bible, we can eliminate. That baptism guarantees, if you get baptism, if you just do the act, you are guaranteed a right standing before God. I think that's easily dismissed. Here's one passage, if you have your Bibles, if you want to open with me. Um, here's one passage, one example um, that I think is, uh, makes that case. That, that undergoing the ritual doesn't guarantee a certain result. And I think we find this in implied in certain teachings. I also think we have it in examples like this. This is out of Acts chapter 8. Verses 9 through 13, I also want to say, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send you home with one today free. You can just stop by the resource table, pick one up. We'd love for you to, to have that. All right, let's take a look. Acts chapter uh, 8, we'll go 9 through 24. All right. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone, from the least to the greatest, often spoke, to him, spoke of him as the great one. So Gretzky did not have it first. Uh, Spoke him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time, this Simon guy had astounded them with his magic. But now people believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were what? Baptized. Baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent... Oh, let, me skip. let me jump ahead to 18. When Simon saw the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on the people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied to this baptized guy, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see you're full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. Okay, so... We can turn to this passage, we can turn to other passages. Does going through the ritual of baptism work like magic? No. Does it guarantee that everything's going to go right, your heart will be right, your mind will be right? No. Baptism doesn't guarantee that as an act, as a ritual in and of itself. So I think that is an extreme that we can dismiss. We can dismiss the extreme that baptism as a ritual guarantees um, that you'll have a right standing before God. Now, here's another stance that I would argue is not biblical. This one's a little bit harder. Some of you are going to be, feel very threatened by me even saying this, but just l- hear me out. I believe that it, the other extreme isn't biblical either to to instead of saying that it's like this magical deal to just dismiss it and say, ah, oh, it's just, it's purely symbolic. It's, it's kind of a thing you can you can take it or leave it um, if you put it in that category. That it's simply, that it's simply a symbolic response to a faith decision. That might be an element of it, but what I'm saying is the extreme position is to dismiss it completely as, hey, baptism is just only a symbolic response to a faith decision. And I think one of the reasons it's so easy to swallow that pill is because we live in the culture that we live in where simplicity sells. In our culture, simplicity sells. And we want things to be made more simple for us, or simpler for us. We want to just keep it simple. Unfortunately, there is not much about baptism that is simple. The more you read and study the passages about baptism, the more confused you might grow, especially if you drill down deep, especially if you drill down deep. There are those who correctly understand that we are saved by grace through faith. But there are some who take the doctrine so far that baptism becomes merely, only, simply a symbolic act that a professing Christian should probably get around to at some point. That's not how baptism is treated in God's word. And then again, on the back of your notes, I I put some of the references there surrounding baptism that I would encourage you to look up. And as you do, I think you're going to see it's not treated as simply that, but there's something more to it. In the Bible, baptism is a big big deal. It's linked with everything from forgiveness of sins to receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is more baptism is more than simply a decision that we make to show the world that we made a decision for Christ. Is that part of it? Yes. Is that all there is to it? No. Here's a passage I'd, I'd encourage you to, to open up to. Let's take a look at this one. This one is out of uh, 1 Peter 3. We brought it up before this passage, but not in the baptism context. Um, in fact, last time we brought it up, I don't even remember baptism being in there. But take a look at this. Uh, this is out of uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, 18-22. through For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. All right, I'm lost already. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Well, that clears it up. In, a few, or in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, Okay, uh, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Christ of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Does that clear it up for you? There are mysteries. The reason I bring that passage up talking about baptism is there are mysteries that that are out there that are clearly beyond our ability to easily comprehend them. This is God we're talking about. And it shouldn't surprise us that if we're talking about God, there are going to be dimensions and aspects that are, are, are going to not only stretch us, but may be beyond human understanding. And here is baptism in one of these crazy passages thrown into the mix, saying... Baptism corresponds to this stuff that you don't understand, somehow. There's more going on with baptism than than a lot of us want to say or want to admit. Now, although that's true, even though there are a number of mysteries associated with baptism, the Bible is clear that Christians should be baptized. That's, that's, I, I would say, crystal clear in the scriptures, that Christians should be baptized. If you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, if you believe that, and you believe he rose on the third day, if you believe that the Bible is God's word, it is our only perfect rule for belief and practice, if you believe those things, and you haven't been baptized, you should be baptized. I think that is clear in the scripture. Now, how much water should you use? The Bible is not... Clear on that. How old should a person be? The Bible doesn't give us an age or define when an age of accountability is. How much instruction should a person receive before they're baptized? The Bible doesn't say. What we do have in the scripture is we don't have a lot in the way of formulas that say, here is exactly what happens in baptism, here is exactly how it should be administered, here is exactly how it should be administered to. We don't have that. What we do have is examples. That's what we have. We have numerous examples, and they're not all the same. The ones that we have. They have some similarities, but they're not all the same. And that's why we see, one of the reasons why, we see in the Christian church, baptism on those points, it's practiced so differently. How many of you were baptized as an infant? All right, number of you. How many were baptized as a believer? Look at that. Was that close to half? Was that just me? Let's try that again. Infant? Believer? That's, yes. and there are a lot of them sitting over here. Do you guys not get along with each other? Ones? I, it'd be interesting to see why that was. I don't know. I, We come early. Oh, wow. All right. It's begun. It's on. It's on. Uh, And and are there anybody who who was baptized as an infant who then later did a believer's baptism? Look at that. A number of you. We dedicated our daughter and then baptized her. We wrestle with this. At least I hope we wrestle with this. And what I hope, again, as we continue on, is we're going to get to a place where we say we don't have to divide but it's actually healthy that we're wrestling with this together. In fact, here's a passage that, that we come back to frequently in this church. It's in You don't have to look it up. We'll just put it up on the screens quickly. Acts 17.11. Here's a passage that, that I think is so important for us to hang on to, to remember, and to use as an example for ourselves. It says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica who also came late. For they received... That's not in there. It's not in there. Um, for they also received the message with great eagerness... And they examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said is true. This is the same Paul who the Spirit of God inspired to write much of the Bible we have. That same Paul is speaking to these guys. They don't just accept it. They go to the scriptures to examine for themselves is what this guy saying true. And in our church is today especially in America where we want simplicity it is so easy for us to say here's what my favorite teacher says about baptism and it makes sense to me so I'm going with that or here's the party line in my denomination I'm going with that or here's what a great historical figure said way back in the day I like that I'm going with that. What we're, I think, encouraged to do and what I think I have an obligation to encourage you to do is to go into the scriptures, take what we present, examine the word of God also for yourself and then discuss it with other believers. And when you do that, you start to see, boy, it gets muddy really quick. When you come in and say, oh, I believe this about baptism, chances are you're going to find something to support that. But when you go in and just read the scriptures for themselves, you're like, what's going on? Especially when you take different translations. If you take the New Living Translation, the NIV Translation, and read them, you're going you're to come up probably with more of a believer's baptism um, bias. If you take other passages, other Bible translations that we have in English, you open them up, you're going to come away with more of an infant baptism bias. It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. But... I think this is still, even though it's harder, I think this is where the Bible encourages us to go, to dig in. Now, what I want to do quickly is, in your notes, there's a place to, to write this down too. I want to point out a couple of what I would say are easily contested arguments. What I mean by that is, there are arguments that I have heard, that people have used on me, that sounded really good. And they say, this is biblical. And I just want to show you that there's a couple of these that are floating out there commonly, that are being used to say this is the biblical case that I don't think are strong at all. Um, here's one of them, a biblical argument that I think is easily contested. It may be a good argument, but I think it's easily contested. One of them is this. The, the people will say, the Bible records households being baptized. If a household's being baptized, there were probably infants there. What, 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 what side of this would people use this argument from? Infant baptism. They would say, there were households being baptized, so there were probably infants there. And, and I had that, one of my mentors, when, when we first decided we're going to dedicate our daughter, he brought this argument up. And then I did the crazy thing of looking up the verses. I went to a concordance. I said, where in the Bible can I find the word household and baptized in the same verse? I found at least three of them. It didn't take long. I found at least three of them. The two I put up here Both have a strong believing component to them. In fact, when I was reading it in the NIV, there was this passage where a Philippian jailer, we'll just you can put it on the screen if you want, but um, there's this passage where there's a Philippian jailer, there's this miracle, the prison doors fly open, the guy's gonna commit suicide over this um, because he's freaking out, he realizes they haven't escaped, he says, What must I do to be saved? And they say, believe and be baptized. So he believes and be baptized. And then this is uh, the ESV, but the NIV renders it. So you're thinking he and his household is baptized. So you're thinking, oh, household, maybe there's infants. But then at the end, in the NIV, it specifically renders it, he rejo- he's filled with joy because he and his family believed. So maybe there were infants there, but it kind of seems to be making the extra point to say, yeah, but they believed. So they were able to believe. So I'm not saying that it's a horrible argument. I'm just saying it's, it's easily contested because in those very arguments themselves, there may have been kids, but at least a couple of them talk about the importance of belief. Here's another argument that, I, that, I, that people say, this is biblical, so this, this ends the debate. They'll say this, Jesus was dedicated as a child, later baptized as an adult. That's biblical. Why would you do anything else? What side does that support? Infant dedication or believers baptism. okay, The reason I put this in the category of easily contested, let's start with the dedication part. Jesus' dedication does not resemble our dedication. Jesus was circumcised at eight days old, which the infant baptism side could use as their argument because that's more about covenant. That's not about choice. That's about a covenant relationship being brought into the covenant because of something God says rather than something we did. Not only that, he was circumcised eight days, and then it says he was presented in the temple. Well, you could say, well, there you go. That's a dedication. It's not the same as our dedication because that was a very specific ritual that applied to firstborn sons. And so they came and they made a sacrifice as Moses instructed them to do. So was Jesus dedicated? Possibly. Was he dedicated like we dedicate? No. I don't think that's strong. But then you could say, but aha, uh-huh. he was baptized as an adult. Okay, he was baptized as an adult. Yes, but was Jesus' baptism the same as our own? No. The Bible specifically says that Jesus' baptism was a baptism to fulfill all righteousness. It had a unique quality about it. And not only that, take a look at this passage that they didn't tell me when they brought up this argument. There were people who were being baptized by John that were later rebaptized. Look at this. Then what baptism did you experience? Paul is asking these people who were baptized by John. They replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one that would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized into the name of Jesus. Was Jesus baptized an adult? Yes. Was Jesus' baptism the same as a believer's baptism? Boy, it seems like it was not that easy, not that cut and dry. Here's one more of, of that I put in this category of not, uh, not, not that's easily contested. This one right here: Jesus, what blessed children, but never baptized them. Is that true? Yes. Jesus never baptized any kids. Did he bless kids? Yes. Did he baptize kids? No. Doesn't this seem to be like, well, that's Jesus' example, right? Great argument? Anybody know the problem with this argument? Who did Jesus baptize? Nobody here in the scriptures. John 4, 2. Jesus himself did not baptize. So is that a strong argument? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. But the, the, the deal is, you don't have to go to these arguments. You don't have, in fact, it frustrates me. I saw these in print as I was poking around websites. What frustrates me is why would you either intentionally mislead people or why would you not do your homework as a church leader and present these as strong arguments? Because there are strong arguments. Let me very, very quickly give you three from each side. We're not going to drill deep. We just don't have time. But let me at least throw these out there so you can start to see why we, half of us, did one thing, half did another. Okay, let's, let's start with um, the believer baptism, because that, a, a, that is a much easier case to make. Um, let's start with the first. I think this is solid. The Bible contains no explicit examples of infant baptism. Maybe there were kids in the household, we don't know. There is not a single passage you can turn to in all of Scripture where you see a, bab- a baptism of an infant. And some people on the infant baptism side says, well, that's because there's, they're all converts. So, of course, they're going to be believing baptism, which I could argue and have to say, yeah, but they still had kids. So why, didn't, why isn't there even one passage in the Bible that says, here you go, a baptism of an infant? I think that's a decent argument. Strong argument, actually. Beyond decent. Okay, number two. Another thing that I think is this is l- less easy to contest um, baptism is linked to belief and repentance. And this is a straightforward argument. How does, how does a baby have belief? Or how does a baby repent? I think that's strong. Um, here's another passage, or another, um, another example of biblical support for believer's baptism. Baptism of consciously converting believers by immersion. Immersion is when you fully go under the water and come up. A baptism of a consciously converting believer by immersion seems much better suited as the visible sign of a spiritual reality. I I give you the references there. Let's just quickly look at part of Romans 6 and you'll see what I mean by this. Look Look at what the word of God is saying. It says, we were buried therefore with Jesus by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Doesn't isn't that captured by a baptism where you fully go and immerse yourself and come forth? So I think these are strong. I think all three of these are strong. Again, are they airtight? No. But I think each of these are strong. Just as, let's turn our attention now to infant baptism. I think there's strong biblical support for infant baptism. It's more nuanced, harder to make the case, but I think it's there nonetheless. Number one is this. What was the original context of passages like Acts two thirty nine, which says these promises, talking about baptism, these promises are for you and your children, and Colossians two eleven through twelve, where there's this link between circumcision and baptism. What would the original? What was the original context? In our society, our context is individual reigns. You know, it's all about individual. That context was different. That context was all about community. That context was all about covenant. This is the the community that grew up hearing the the great passage out of Joshua where he says, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Where, Where decisions are made and covenant is linked beyond an individual's decision. So when those people heard things like this, what would they have heard? And again, this is not airtight either, but to me that's strong because I would say they heard, you baptize your family. In fact, I would go, this is me now, I'm getting more into my own defense discuss mode here rather than this is a dividing deal. I would argue that the fact that it doesn't say, by the way, don't baptize your kids, the fact that that's not in there is interesting. So there is one of these. Number two, here's another example of biblical support. Again, that's controversial. I'll throw that out there. I fully admit it. My point is not to to say this side is right, this side's wrong. My point is to say, look at this. Deal with it, you know. Um, Number two, this is huge also. God's grace is a gift. In fact, even our decision for Christ is enabled by God. And there is a mystery as to how does that begin. Now, this, this is what I talked about. Baptism takes us places that are not simple. Baptism takes us into predestination versus decision. It takes us into election versus free will. And so here's a passage, that guy, Pastor Morris Wagners. Here's him kind of expanding on this idea a little bit, the grace is a gift. Can we put up the Pastor Morris quote? This is interesting. You may or may not agree with it, but this this represents theological thinking on the subject. It should be noted that faith does not effect salvation, meaning having faith produces salvation. It receives it. There is a clear distinction. We can do nothing to bring about our salvation. We can only receive it by faith. It is God's gracious gift to us. Belief is not a decision or an action we take as to be saved. Faith is our response of receiving God's gift of salvation. In your notes on the back, I put some interesting stuff that he brought to my attention that no one else had brought to my attention before. Can a child have faith? I'd encourage you to read through that. It's, it's interesting, to say the least. Okay, but I don't want to, again, I don't want to overpush one of these sides. I just want to say, look at this. It's out there. Think about it. Wrestle with it. Pray about it. Discuss it. Even defend it. Just be careful not to divide over it. Number three, one more example of biblical support. And again, the length of my wording doesn't mean this is more powerful. This is the nature of infant baptism. It just, it's more nuanced. You know, which some could say then it's not as correct because the other one's just easy to understand, easier to understand, more straightforward. Okay, here we go. Early church leaders were instructed to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Now, Titus 1.9 is just one place of many where this comes up. So if church leaders were supposed to, they were instructed, teach sound doctrine, and if church leaders extremely early were teaching infant baptism, not all of them, but if if some of them were teaching infant baptism, why did the church not say you're wrong? Why in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, do we not see something that says, and by the way, baptizing your kids, not scriptural? Why do we trust the people who canonized the Bible itself? Some of whom I would say is extremely likely advocated infant baptism. Why do we trust that the people who gave us the Bible got it wrong on baptism? It's it's these kind of things that that cause you to to wrestle with both sides, that cause you to realize there's a lot to this. In fact, here's, here's a quote from the... Year 215, this is a guy uh, who I would just massacre his name and call him Hippopotamus or something, and that would be very disrespectful because so, he was really, I'm sure, a great guy. Um, look, look at this. These are the kind of quotes that were coming out that early. Baptize first the children. If they can speak for themselves, let them do so. Otherwise, let their parents or other relatives speak for them. Now, what, again, what frustrates me on this is both sides claim history is on their side. And so I put two quotes in your notes also so you can wrestle with that because I don't want to make it sound like history is all on the side of infant baptism. That's how it was presented to me. Well, if you go with the early church, you've got to go with infant baptism. It's not that simple at all. So I put two quotes that seem to contradict each other just for fun. All right. So are do, are we at least, do, you, do you understand what I'm trying to do? Is this, is this making sense? I'm just trying to unpack this and say it, there's a reason why there's, we are where we are. And that is because you can go to the word of God and you can make strong cases for both of these positions. So here's what I want to, as we come before the Lord's table, here's a thought I want to throw out to you. This I'm going to put in the category of defend. The thought I'm about to give you is not in the category of thus saith the Lord. This is, this is a thought that I have as I've wrestled with this personally. Um, can we put the, the passage up on the screen? Why don't you write it down? I'm going to take a sip of water. It's a question, and the question is this. Could the tension be intentional? Could the tension we find in the scripture be intentional? The reason that I've arrived where I've arrived when it comes to baptism is not because I'm wishy-washy on baptism. Not at all. I feel really strongly about baptism. The reason I'm wishy-washy is because I'm not quick to just say, well, because so-and-so says you should believe this interpretation, you should believe this interpretation. In fact, the very reason that I arrive at this position is because I believe the Bible is the only authoritative guide we have to faith and practice. The only one. So I can't easily just go with what someone says about it. And when it, when it seems to present truth in tension, I have to arrive with the fact that it's there on purpose. That free will and election are there on purpose because God could have defined it more clearly if he wanted to. If you really believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, then for me, I come to the conclusion of God is not surprised by this debate. And he could have ended it. If it was one or the other, all it would have taken is one verse. One verse that says, don't baptize your kids or baptize your infants. If, that's all it would have taken to end this debate. So I'm left with the conclusion of if God is sovereign, if God knows this is going to happen, if God knows it's going to divide his church, why wouldn't he have answered it? I think because he wants us to hold these things in tension. That he wants us to understand that grace is bigger than our decision. That God himself even enables grace. That grace is so amazing that it, doesn't, that, it that it isn't something that we on our own can even receive or reject, but God is somehow working mysteriously in our world to even enable that. That that's something we need to hold on to. And at the same time that God doesn't want us to just rest with that, to say, well, I just throw my hands back because it's all about God, but he wants us to wrestle with those passages of you must be born again. Look at the church and look at how this has developed over time. Major denominations, major denominations have both rituals. Major denominations have some ritual where you bring your child to Jesus. They both do. Some baptize at that point, some um, dedicate at that point. But both of them, the heart piece is, I got to do this. I got to bring my kids before God. We both get that that we need God's grace, we need God's help, we need God's blessing. We have more in common than we may think because we both have that and we both have whatever side you have, you have the other deal. You both have some sort of ritual on the other end where you say it's also important. That's important, but it's also important that at some day we make a faith proclamation too. Whether it's confirmation or baptism, we need to do both. We need to bring our kids to Jesus. We need to have the faith proclamation. And I think the very fact that God has us holding this intention helps us. Because as we defend our position, as we discuss our position, as we do that, it forces us to go to areas we're not comfortable with. It forces those who are decision folks to be able to say, yep, it was my decision, but... And it's, it's, it forces the infant baptism, the folks say, yep, this is the work of God, but it forces us to get into scriptures that we might dismiss. That's why I think it is so healthy for a church not to divide when it comes to baptism. Because if you divide, then what happens almost always is then you're surrounded by like-minded people who all look at the same verses with the same interpretation. And as a result, your theology your understanding of the nuances, your understanding of the mystery isn't stretched in the same way. That's my take on this. Here's one passage, the last scripture I want us to look at here together. This is out of Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And one of the reasons that we ended up, we, we weren't planning to talk about baptism today um, originally. One of the reasons we're talking about it is it kind of turned into a perfect storm Sunday where at first I thought we were going to have a baptism and a dedication on the same day. And also, it's All Saints Sunday. A time where we realize it's, it's not about us dividing into our little corners because we can't get along or thinking that we're more intellectually superior than the other people are. It's not about that. It is about this bigger movement of God that transcends history. That we have, we have people, a great cloud of witnesses, who we will one day gather with some of whom are living, some of whom have passed, some of whom are possibly not even yet to be here. We will all join before one God and at at every knee, every knee, every tongue, every tribe, every nation will confess that Jesus is Lord and every knee will bow to the same God. And also it's communion Sunday when we gather around the Lord's table. So with all of that in mind, look at this passage, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all what? Humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit. Just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. I think that one's pretty clear. There will be things that divide us. There will be things to say, boy, this is an area we just can't compromise on. We cannot be members of the same church and disagree on this. There are some of those things, but boy, they better be clear. They better be rock solid in the scripture. If not, then I think keeping this as small as you can stretches us to places we may not go otherwise. Well, at this time, let's, with that idea, let's invite the worship band come, to come forward and let's pray some common prayers. There's a reason why we've started to have some prayers that we all have been trying to learn together. That 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 trans that many of these go beyond any one denomination. In fact, I kind of jumbled some of them together, because we have people here from Catholic churches, we have people here from Lutheran backgrounds, we have people from Baptists, we have we have people from Independent and Pentecostal. We even have some people from the, that actually knew what the covenant was before we had this thing. You know, the, we have these people that, that that are all coming together as one Lord, one faith, baptism. So together. As God's people, let's, let's prepare ourselves now to gather around the Lord's table. And let's do so with some, some prayers. So please join me in praying, praying these prayers. Let's start with this one. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean.